Hey, everybody. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Alphabet City Films. Please watch our film, The Trouble, starring John Vogel, Christian Torres Villalobos, and Maria De Simone. You could watch the film on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. To find out how to watch the film, please visit our website at troublefilm.com. So our guest today is Rashad Ernesto Green. For those of you not familiar with his work, in the past he's had success at Sundance, having a shorts premiere there, as well as his first feature film, Gun Hill Road, which starred Isai Morales and Judy Reyes. Uh, he's been an episodic director of television shows such as Luke Cage, Supernatural, and Being Mary Jane. His latest film, Premature, starring Zora Howard and Joshua Boone, which also premiered at Sundance, was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award in the John Cassavetes Award section. Rashad was the winner of the Someone to Watch Award at this year's Film Independent Spirit Awards for Premature. It's been released by IFC Films. And for more info on how you could watch it, please visit the website, prematurefilm.com. Without further ado, please enjoy the episode where I had a nice talk with Rashad about Premature as well as the films that have been influential to him. Welcome to the Film Scene Podcast. All right. We're so excited to have Rashad Ernesto Green on Film Scene. Thank you, Rashad, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I saw Premature, loved it, and uh, it's been exciting to actually see the progression of your work as a filmmaker because I've been following your work since screening your short films back in the day in <laughs> Times Square, which I don't even know if you remember that. But uh, we screened Premature and your film Cuts and the early shorts and... Was um, it in Times Square? Was it, well, it, it was near Times Square. It was near, on 44th Street at the Producers Club back in the day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and actually, it's been a while since I saw you. I think the last time I saw you was in 2014 at the Cannes Film Festival. And we oh, just wow. ran into each other walking down the street, <laughs> all dressed up, coming from a party or something. Oh, nice. And, yeah. Uh, so I remember seeing the short film version of Premature and... You know, I want to be careful because I don't want to give any spoilers about your feature film, but it's safe enough to say that it's it's different than the short film. There's some similar themes, but it's it's definitely a departure, a right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm also kind of curious about the title, like keeping the same title. Yeah. So when Zora and I got into a room, Zora is the lead in the film. She plays Ayana. Uh, she was the, the lead in the short film from 2008 as well. And we've been friends ever since that, that time. I cast her when she was 14. Over the last few years, she's all grown up now, we were talking about working on something else together and collaborating on something. And we got into the room finally uh, after a few years of just talking crap and said, let's, uh, let's write a feature together. And we decided to write a love story because we wanted to offer alternative to the kind of black cinema that we had been used to seeing, which is often, you know, an overabundance of films that deal with black victimization, fear, suffering, pain, and the, and, and the like. And so it's, I decided to explore black life and black love instead. And while we were drafting this love story, themes from the short film began to influence us scenes, events, setting, character uh, began to creep its way into the story. And so we embraced those elements and the two became one. Amazing. And her performance was outstanding. And it actually took, because she is grown up now, it actually took me a while to see that it was the same girl from right. the short. And so that was kind of a cool moment looking that up. And I was like, oh, wow. It was, yeah. You know. Yeah, and the short was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, so people don't often put it together. Yeah, so, so that was pretty great. And in, in general, the performances were amazing, man. Thank so you. I would love to know a little bit about your process behind that. And obviously, you had a great cast as well, so you have a good eye for picking talent. Yeah. But uh, I would love for you to speak a little bit about your directing process when it comes to working with actors. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but I was an actor first. I went to NYU graduate acting school, earned a master's in acting. I was in school with Susan Kelechi Watson and Corey Stoll was in my class. Sterling K. Brown was a couple of years ahead of me. Denai Gurira uh, was right behind me. So I was uh, in school with, with 
some wonderful, wonderful talent, and the professors were incredible. And I came out in the real world, acting being my first passion, and realized that the industry wasn't what I had hoped it would be. Uh, and I went back to film school, you know, because I didn't want to necessarily wait around for the industry to catch up, you know. Uh, so I decided to start making films on my own, start making the films that I wanted to see on screen uh, that that delved into our lives and and our culture in, in a ways that, that, that I felt represented. So when I approach the writing, when I approach the directing, it's always from that foundation of acting. So when I'm casting, I'm always looking for that magical element that somebody has that feels like, you know, they can bring a level of authenticity to the screen, to their performance. And if they don't have it, if they're a non-actor, you know, I, I still am looking for that germ. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll combine actors and non-actors and you won't necessarily be able to tell the difference because they keep each other on their toes. And, uh, you know, hopefully what, what I'm able to bring with the background that I have is I'm able to suss out that performance that sometimes they don't even know is there. And so that's what I, that's what I bring to the table. I, and when I, when I went to film school initially, I, I was nervous. You know, I thought, you know, I'm in trouble because I, you know, I hadn't had a background in film education. And there were a lot of my classmates who, you know, had done their undergrad degree in filmmaking. And I, I, I had a, you know, a large learning curve to get over. And uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that I had a pretty decent foundation to telling stories having come from an acting background and the theater. Uh, I knew sort of inherently that there is an obstacle in every scene and that you start off the scene in, in one way and you end it in another, uh, that, that the character has an overall objective and a journey over the entire uh, piece or whether it's a play or a film that you start in one place, there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end uh, to that character's journey, uh, to the story. And so, you know, I, I, I had tools that I, that I was unaware of that I had been working on for most of my career up until that point without necessarily knowing that I was working those yeah. tools. And so when I'm directing, I still am coming from that uh, actor's... I think that's a great sensibility. I know that you also co-wrote the script with Zora Howard mm -hmm. that played Ayana. Yeah. And what was that process like in developing the story with her and actually writing out the script? Yeah. So, I mean, not only, you know, not only, you know, did we work together, but we had been friends for a long time. You know, I cast her when she was 14 in the short, but I had known her since she was 11 years old. So there was a foundation of trust there. Uh, I don't know if I could have done that process with anyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a shorthand with each other. Uh, you know, we can call each other out. We can get into fuss and fights and, and know we knew that it would be all right. Right. There's you know, a respect there. There was a respect, but, well, but also there was the, there was the ability to be honest. You know, sometimes yeah. when you're working with someone that you don't know very well, you know, everything, you know, you're trying to be careful all of the time and right. you're not always, um, yourself. Right. And sometimes there's pleasantries that you exactly. just, exactly. You know, yeah. And sometimes it, it can take a long time, I think, to, you know, to just get to the meat of the matter Yeah. where Zora and I, you know, we didn't really waste too much time because we knew each other well and knew we weren't going anywhere. You guys didn't sugarcoat anything. We didn't sugarcoat <laughs> anything. I mean, you know, maybe to like, you know, to a little extent, you know, to, sure. to, to a small extent, because, you know, Yes, we were friends, but this was the first time we were working together in this capacity. Right. So it was a little bit of like, you know, I don't want to offend her and she didn't want to offend me, you know. So, you know, the, the worst thing, you know, an artist wants to hear is no, <laughs> you know, that your idea is crap. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and no, she wasn't afraid to tell me, but she was, you know, she was respectful, you know, um, and, and likewise, you know. Well, clearly there's that foundation of respect that she respects you as an artist and what you bring to the table right. and how impactful your short film was. I remember screening 
your short film and just having the whole audience just like, <gasps> you know, at the end of it, you know, it's just like a visible, you know, like a visceral sort of feeling. And um, I think that's the what ties into the power of cinema and kind of why we do this as filmmakers to get that sort of impactful reaction. And so, you know, I guess there was, that's what's sort of nice about your collaboration is there was this also, aside from you knowing her as a friend and you guys have worked together and she trusted you also as an artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, we got into the room and just asked ourselves what we wanted to talk about. And so we just, we, we, once we decided a on a love story, we just shared our own stories about our past relationships, uh, the loves of our life, the heartbreaks. We talk forever, yeah. you know, and we shared art that we were inspired by, influenced by, whether it be films, music, novels. We just, we, we shared with each other and we watched films together. We listened to music together and then we started drafting together. Was there stuff that she put you on to and vice versa that maybe you hadn't been exposed to before, whether it was films or anything like that? 100%. 100%. You know, um, uh, Zora is uh, a spoken word artist, and so she comes from the world of poetry. So she uh, also brought in music that I hadn't heard of and musicians that, I, um, that she introduced me to. And yes, she, she brought in a lot of that stuff. And then films-wise, you know, we, we re revisited some films that we had both seen, obviously, from the 90s and 80s. And, um, and then I introduced her to films that she hadn't seen as well. And, uh, and we just, we sat there, we watched it, we talked about it, and, and we let it take over us. Nice. Yeah. I, I get the feeling, my, my philosophy about actual relationships and love stories is that each one is unique. It's almost like a fingerprint. And so it's kind of interesting seeing this unique story of Ayana and Isaiah mm -hmm. develop and kind of seeing where it's going to go and taking certain conventions and then defying other conventions, mm -hmm. you know? So I thought that was really cool of sort of how organic it kind of developed. And by the moment that they actually have their first kiss, I thought it was super impactful. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. We weren't necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that. You know, it, I mean, love it often looks similar in people's lives, but, you know, to, to make it as specific as we could to the characters that we were creating, you know, hopefully it, it um, you know, it feels authentic. No, there was, there was definitely a degree of specificity. And even in the scene where they first meet, I thought that you did sort of something sort of really brilliant, which I want to kind of un unpack because Isaiah is talking to her in the swings. And, and I love that shot when they're, it's, it's at night in the park and they're in the swing set and she's kind of cold to him. She doesn't really give him the time of day, mm -hmm. but upon really examining that moment and where her head space is earlier in the day, she was there in the park with her friends and it seemed like she was kind of breaking it off with another young guy. And so you're kind of in her headspace of, you know, it, at first it seems like she's kind of a cold character, but really thinking about that moment, you're like, well, you could see why it, it makes perfect sense of why maybe she doesn't want to hear this guy right. kicking game. And she talks about guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> and she talks about it in a very poetic way. It's like mm -hmm. kicking game, like, or I don't want to, Watch the line. So right. uh, it was a great line though. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, she's, she's, she's kind of over dudes, you know, and the way they are, especially young dudes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who don't know what they want and they're always trying to play games. Right. You know, and here this guy is showing some interest and she clearly is attracted to him, but she always knows, you know, she, she, she knows that guys always have a line. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he, uh, his presence is very poeticized in general. So I like, how that was there with the character and your use of poetry in the film. Was that something that was there from the beginning or is that something that kind of evolved to that point? Well, the, the funny thing was that we didn't write any poetry into the film at all. The poetry um, is, is Zora's domain. You know, she comes from the spoken word wor world. And so we made Ayana a writer. We made, we knew that she would 
be a poet, but we weren't going to actually hear any poetry in the film proper. Uh, there was none in the script. And when we got to the production, there was none there either. Uh, but during one scene in particular, the scene where he reads her journal and discovers her writing, we were going to, uh, you know how the scene ends is, is where she starts to read that poem yeah. to him. The scene ended on paper where she's about to start speaking and it cuts to another scene. But on the day when we were shooting it, I thought, well, we're here. You know, why not? Why don't you just say a poem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sure you have a few, you know, memorized, you know, Zora had, a, you know, she's written books of poetry. Um, and so she just pulled one out of the hat, you know, um, and I, you know, I said, you know, this is probably not going to make the film at all. You know, this will, this is just something to have just to, to, just to be able to cut out of, you know? Yeah. And, but she, we did it several times and she finished, you know, she finished the poem each time. And so, when we got into the cutting room, my editor, Jas Justin Chan, he edited the the montage of, and I don't want to necessarily give away the film, but there's a there's a moment where she goes to the doctor, and the the, the montage was done with poetry over it, that poetry from that scene. It carries over into this montage at the doctor, and uh, and it worked really well, you know, but yeah. it but it. But it stood out as sort of like the only poetry in the film. And, and so when we were assembling and realizing that we needed a little bit more of a way into Ayana's internal thought process and what she was feeling, her interiority, we felt like poetry might be a nice way to get us there. And so from the editing room, I'd call... Zora and ask her if she could throw me a couple of lines of poetry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, she was like, well, well, what's it, you know, what's it about? What's the, what's the scene? You know? And I was like, okay, so, um, you know, in the, the train, when you guys were, you're, you're, you're looking at the couple kissing, um, give me something about, you know, I don't know, yearning, yearning and yearning for love. And, She'd be like, oh, okay, well, what's the shot? Oh, okay, uh, it's my eyes, and then it's, it's me looking at a couple? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the next day or, um, you know, a couple days, she would just shoot just a couple lines of poetry, and we just place it, you know, like, you know, via the iPhone or something, you know, she, the, the voice recorder. She sent it, and that's what ended up in the film. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love how that evolved sort yeah. of very organically. yeah. Uh, so I think here's the litmus test of how to show how great of a movie and how much I love the movie is I was here in my office on Thursday and when I got the screener link, I was only planning on watching five minutes before heading home. Mm. I take the Metro North home to Westchester mm -hmm. and I was like, let me just watch the first five minutes of the movie because I feel like you could always learn a lot from the way a filmmaker opens a film in the first five minutes. So mm. I like to sometimes just absorb that. But I watched the first five minutes. I called my wife. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late. <laughs> and uh, I just sat and watched the whole thing. I, oh, couldn't, wow. I couldn't take my eyes oh, off of wow. it. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very well done. And I, I want to ask more about uh, the casting of Isaiah's character because sure. their, their chemistry was amazing. Yeah. So was that, was that a difficult role to cast? I'd say yes, because uh, we, we didn't necessarily know anyone to fit the description. You know, we wrote the role, and there was a young man I had in mind uh, from L.A. who was a wonderful actor, and uh, met him when we had a reading in New York. Uh, we put the, you know, the feelers out there and asked everyone that we knew, you know, to, to, to recommend somebody who fit this description. And you know, neither one of us had worked with Josh, but he came recommended and came to the reading and hadn't finished the script yet, but had such a handle on who Isaiah was that his, his interpretation, I just made me fall in love with him yeah. and, and the character. And, and he was a little bit older than what we had written the role to be, 
but when casting the, the the actual casting process came around, you know, I just asked them to to come in looking young. You know, yeah. <laughs> just you know, you know, you know. Um, that's probably the best direction you could give. <laughs> Come in fresh, man. You know, yeah. And uh, and he did, and yeah, you know, it it was, it 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 was tough, but you know what what he brought what he brought to the table was just exactly, you know, what what the character needed, and you know because not. You know, kind of everybody was playing a little bit younger than they were. Yeah. Um, but it, they, but you, but it works. Yeah, 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 it works. Yeah, it works. And 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 that was, you know, so so, you know, you know, made that game time decision, and I like never look back. You know, their chemistry is just so uh, kinetic. I mean, you feel it from the from the moment that they look at each other. Yes. And, you know, the the scene. Where they're falling in love in the Caribbean Day Parade, yeah, was the first time that they had worked together. Like, wow! Yeah, you know that was that was supposed to be our rehearsal day. Um, Amazing! Just threw them out there and we're like, "Go be in love." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I like how the park is sort of uh, a backdrop <laughs> in in a lot of the scenes from the movie because I think just in general, from being a New Yorker and being born in Manhattan and just seeing a lot of recognizable places. And, you know, I, I had kind of a surreal moment because I was taking the Metro North train home that night and I was literally thinking about the film and then I'm sitting there, the stop opens up and it's 125th street at the same exact location mm-hmm. as, <laughs> as one of the scenes in the movie. And so I thought that was kind of a surreal moment. Yeah. And then, yeah. then seeing the shrine, I used to, I used to actually <laughs> film at the shrine I have to give a shout out to my girl, Exonda, that I used to film at the Shrine, and my friends Tan and Righteous. When I was first getting started out as a filmmaker, I was filming artists. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was it was great. The funny you mentioned, you know, Harlem, you know, being like almost in character in the film, all of the 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 major the like the, the major four roles in the film, everyone lives like within a four or five block radius in Harlem. Me, Zora, uh Joshua, who plays Isaiah. Uh, and Michelle Wilson, who plays uh, Ayana's mother, That's all all live with like within a five block radius in Harlem. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that was that just sort of happened. I, well, I know that yeah, you happens. Yeah, that is happens. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know where Josh was living, yeah. and he just happens to be from the South too. Like, yeah. so you know, we wrote this character that's a transplant to Harlem from the South, and found a transplant to Harlem. From the south, you know, <laughs> and 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 he's and he and he's fantastic. And as far as you know, yes, he's he's a musician in the film, uh, but Josh has a musical background as well. You know, he he's a he's he sings as well as just as well as he acts. You know, he's a he's a Broadway singer and wow, um, yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic, fantastic talent. Yeah, and I, I liked how music was part of the backdrop and just. I guess the nuanced sort of nature of him as a character, being a musician that can't quite finish things. I, w- I was kind of curious about that, the evolution of that as sort of a character arc because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all struggle as artists, right? Yes. You know, so, you know, we gave his character uh, something to, to, to wrestle with, you know, and, and he's dealing with the the passing of his father and, and how that... Uh, as has inhibited him uh, because how he measures himself up to his father and the kind of artist and musician that his father was. And so it makes him stagnant to an extent. And we, you know, we've all gone through that and we, we, we know what that is. Um, obviously the reasons being different for everyone. hundred percent. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we wanted to give him something that he was wrestling with internally um, to make his character three-dimensional. Amazing. And the performance of the mother was also yeah. uh, an amazing find. And just just the dynamics of the relationship between Ayana and her mother and, and the scene with her in the kitchen when she just knows, doesn't say a word, but her the reaction, I thought that was completely brilliant and yeah that's just cinematic 
gold, really. Michelle Wilson is an absolute blessing, um, not only as, a, as an actress and performer, but as a human being. And she's, um, yeah, she's a gift. She came into the audition room and we had that scene where she uh, discovers uh, that I, I don't know if, if we want to give everything away, but she discovers that Ayana is up to something. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I, I have to press a button that says spoiler alert. That's the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, in in the in this in the scene that we had in the script, there were just a couple of words that we had written there at the end of the scene, and it was like, oh, Ayana, something like that. Yeah. But on the day. Michelle, I don't know if she, you know, she didn't have the, the the fold of the page or it was on the next page or it, but she didn't say those two words for whatever reason. And she just looked at Zora, who was in the casting room as well, and just with that intensity. And it was so clear that that's all that scene needed was, was, was that intense silence that Michelle gave because you didn't need any words. She was saying everything that she needed to say with that stare. It was so impactful. And so, so, you know, we cut, you know, we just cut those words. We cast Michelle and she was able to deliver on the day and, and every, every, every single scene that she steps into, she's just so natural and uh, really, really helped us ground this film. Yeah. I, I loved even on the establishing scene where you first saw her, and Ayana's like, I'm, I'm going out with T. She's like, oh, you're going out with T. Just, yeah. You could tell that she knows that she's lying, but <laughs> is not quite calling her out on it in right. the moment. But right. she's just like, text me when you get there. You know, yeah. but it's like she knows. And yeah, so- Mich- Michelle, Michelle um, she, she, raised, uh, she raised a daughter as a single mother in Harlem. And so she had a lot of experience you know, so so by the time that she came to this role, she's 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 drawing from you know a lifetime having lived sure. that role. There's a level of authenticity there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sense. and you know, just a just a note on on actors in New York. I mean, she's a Broadway performer, Tony nominated, Obie Award winning actress, and you know, hadn't I, I hadn't like necessarily seen like a, a huge reel with f- film credits and stuff like that. So for her to actually go into the audition room, having such a, a body of work behind her uh, and, and the talent that she has to, to, to humble, you know, to, to, to be humble enough to, to, to enter a room and do the work necessary. I just, ha- I have to, uh, you know, uh, take my hat off to her um, for, for being so willing to assist us uh, with her, with her talent. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a testament to a lot of talented actors in New York. And she certainly has the chops. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all do in your, in your film. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've been hearing that a lot, that the performances are just outstanding. So, yeah. yeah I mean, I, 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 that, that's the part of the process that I think I love the most, you know, is um, directing actors who are just willing to be there and play, you know, yeah. and, that, and that group of friends, not everyone in there has acted before. Uh, Alexis Marie Wint uh, was on the spoken word scene with Zora. Had never acted in anything, but she had wow. performed. You know, she had performed on stages with the spoken word. Uh, she just had such a vivacious personality, and she's an extrovert. And she was when uh, you know when the idea was thrown to her, she she ate it up. She was like, "Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. let's do this." You know, yeah. and uh, Imani Lewis, I have to, I you know, another blessing. I had hadn't worked with her before. I'd seen her briefly in 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 eighth grade. Uh, she was in that film, and she came into the audition room, and she just blew us away. She's just fantastic. And Tashiana Washington, also a wonderful, wonderful talent who I'd worked with on Gun Hill Road. Uh, the, getting them all together, they were just riffing off each other and talking over each other. I mean, they they just you can't tell. You know the the scripted lines from where they where they ad libbed a little and yeah. where they just threw in little flourishes like it just all flows. Yeah. So 
you got to upgrade your shit. Was that in the script or was that an ad lib line? That was, that was in the script. Yeah. 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 That was in the script. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, it that felt ad lib <laughs> in, in the best possible way. Yeah. 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 I would, I would say that it was mostly scripted. You know, I would say a good, a good 90, 90, 95%, yeah. but, but it's some of, some of the, the, the little touches, you yeah, know, yeah. just make it, make it all flow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like how it even starts off where you sort of hear the subway and then the first shot that you see of Ayana is her actually looking at this other couple mm-hmm. that's sitting down mm-hmm. in the subway car. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought that was kind of a cool little kind of touch of you're watching her observing these other people. Right. And I think that ties into cinema in general is that it's sort of a voyeuristic sort of medium that we're just interested in kind of watching, you know, characters and people's lives to some extent, and especially when they're, there's a lot of depth of these characters that are, make them interesting to watch. Right. They tie into story itself. So, yeah. I mean, with that first, you know, when, when we're introduced to her, we want to, you know, we wanted to, you know, get you into her mindset immediately, you yeah. know, into into to what she's yearning for, even uh, if her friends don't know, you know, we know, we know immediately what she's after. I like that. Yeah. And <laughs> it was funny too when they got out of the subway platform and just kind of the riffing with those those other young men. Right. Were- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's. What I find that's interesting too is, and what I really like that you did, because there's a lot of people that make characters, they make them sort of a certain type, like, hey, this is the strong character, and they're just strong, and that's how they are. Mm-hmm. But you made Ayana very nuanced and a lot of depth on her character that, you know, she is strong. You know, she does stand up for herself, but then there's also the vulnerability too that kind of shows throughout the story without trying to give anything away but it's realistic i mean that's people aren't always one way the whole time there's sort of you know that emotional kind of peaks and valleys that i think uh you showed with with both characters yeah Isaiah I mean, as well i think in in order to keep an audience interested you have to show growth of character you know um if you're one way the whole time and you haven't changed over the course of a story and why are we watching that story? Absolutely. But it wasn't just like a, it wasn't just kind of, a, it was just done very well. That's what I'm trying to comment on. It's, it was a, it was a organic sort of nuanced, really um, very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we try, we try to bring three dimensions to every character that's on the screen and not necessarily, you know, paint someone in a one dimensional way. Yeah. You know, we want, you know, everybody to be right and wrong and have feelings and depth and history. And we want these decisions to be tough and difficult for them. We want, we didn't want anything to be easy. And for sure, I, I felt as, as an audience, you know, uh, just a level of empathy yeah. for the characters, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that you're really kind of on their emotional trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, amazing film. And, is there is there anything, I guess, else that you want to touch upon upon the making of this film, or just anything that you, anything else you want to talk about premature before we sort of get to the next segment of the podcast? I mean, it was a real labor of love, you know. If you want a, a, a real taste of independent, gritty New York filmmaking, go check us out. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> Comes highly recommended for myself. Yeah. So I guess that, that kind of ties into the second segment of the podcast to talk about what kind of films really inspired and influenced you as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. You know, but, you know, I didn't necessarily know I was going to be a filmmaker. So I, 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 I had to give myself a little bit of a film education, um, you know, once I got to film school. But the films that I grew up on, I grew up on the films of Spike Lee, and Spike Lee was your teacher, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh yeah, Spike yeah. Lee was a uh, was my professor at NYU, and uh, one of the major reasons why I attended NYU Graduate Film School uh, because he, not only did he uh, attend there, you know that not only did he go there himself, he also uh, taught there. 
and he, he and he encouraged you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, once you know, once I was in school, um, yeah, you know, I just uh, I, I've been a fan of his since you know since my er- earliest memories of film. She's got to have it. There was there was always a uh, well that one I was a little bit I was a little bit young for. Right, right, uh, right. Because the, and the subject matter was very, very sexy. So my 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 dad didn't 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 allow me <laughs> to watch that one when it came out. Yeah, that's, but that's um, understandable. I didn't th- I think <laughs> I was familiar with that one until later on myself. <laughs> yeah, it was and, and and what was the second one was um the the one at the college uh, school days. Yeah, yeah, that one that that one also um had some some scenes that I wasn't allowed to see uh, when I was young. But when Do the Right Thing came around, that was like, that was it for us. I mean, we we watched that film so many times. Pivotal moment in my life just to be able to see, you know, uh, someone who I felt represented me, you know, somebody who looked like me telling stories about us. And so... Yeah, that was it was it was that was a huge one for us, and so do the right thing was a huge one, and and I watched every single film of his that came out. It was always an event. And I remember uh, when I went to the theater with my father to see Malcolm X, uh, Jungle Fever was one, Boy, uh, Mo Better Blues, and all those ones that came out like in the in the early nineties. Back to back to back, you know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when Boys in the Hood came out, that was another that was another big one. Uh, love, 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 um, and God bless, you know, John Singleton who's passed now. Rest in peace to John Singleton. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Tragic loss. That film, man. That that was like I I wanted to be Trey, and I felt like that was representing how how my father raised us. We kind of, we come from a single single father household, my brother and I, and saw so much of my dad in Furious Styles, and so uh, you know that 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 overprotective dad who was you know on the straight and narrow and um, trying to keep us out of harm's way the best he knew how. Yeah, uh, really really identified with that film, and then. Um, that was an amazing film, man. Yeah, and I saw it. Uh, so me and my brother used to just watch that film over and over again, and it was just—it was such a good movie. And I remember just even being a kid in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I remember being at my cousin Vilson's house, and his older brother Rob had this movie with the cover. I'm like, "What is that? Like, this movie is what's going on?" <laughs> and so then we would watch that movie. We loved it, and I guess that was my first exposure to Ice Cube as well. Mm. And as far as him acting, especially. You know, and you know when you're a kid, for, for us, maybe, maybe I couldn't articulate why I thought it was cinematically brilliant. But seeing it now, like seeing it later on, mm-hmm. not only does it hold up, you just realize, wow, John Singleton was ahead of his time. Oh, absolutely. What, what was he in his 20s when he, he was 23 years old? I think <laughs> when he was nominated for an Academy Award for that film and the youngest Academy Award nominee of all time, I think, and I could be mistaken, but I think to date for wow. best director in the best director category, beating wow. Orson Welles, which amazing. And just for him, to, because there's, there's so much in that film. It's, 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 it's incredible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Really. And I, and I, and I didn't know, um, no, I didn't know any fi- like film language at that time. I just, was watching a film that had a had a deep and profound effect on me. Of course, going back, you go, man, did this guy know what he was doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, definitely yeah. a master of the craft for sure. <laughs> was, for sure. Is there a scene in that film that's particularly? I mean, there's so many amazing scenes, but is there a particular scene when you think about that film that's that you think about that's impactful that you'd want to discuss? There are a few scenes in that film. There are a few scenes that that, that 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 I that stand out for me. When um when Trey as a young boy is over his father's house and there's a thief in the middle of the night that uh it's coming to, to, to look through the house to steal something. The way that's shot and the way that's depicted, young Trey is going to the bathroom to take a leak and 
furious, hears something, leans over to get the the pistol, and just the just the, it's so tense, and 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 the, the dripping of the water in the tub, like you just hear it over and yeah. over again, and um, That's and then yeah, yeah, and then he yeah. blows the 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 the, the shots through the, the shots through the door, and there's a you know a, a life lesson for young Trey there, you know, you should have shot him dead. He said, nah. He said, you know, um, that would have just been another black man, you know, dead. And, uh, and then when the cop shows and up. And then the cop know. shows up and says, um, it's, it's, it's a shame you didn't get him. You know, and f- this, is, this is not the lesson Furious wants for his son. That same cop, uh, this is now when, when Trey is older, you know, 10, 10 years later, um, is the one that stops him on the street when he's with Ricky. And the 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 anger and the self hatred this cop has for his own kind, uh, I just I remember, you know, being so, you know, um, you know, introduced to that to that aspect of 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 self hatred within the culture when one of your own can 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 take the the role of the oppressor and in that instance you know um takes trey out the car and says you look like one of these crenshaw mafia mfers and blah 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 and holds the gun to his neck i just i remember being so affected by that i will say even when when i first saw the movie thinking back at it as a young kid i think it was the first time that i had a realization that how much environment affects people. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this kid, Trey, is a good kid, but just his environment is, uh, the opportunities that he has in that environment are vastly different than what he would have had, you know, somewhere else. And I, I do remember thinking that as a, as a young kid, but also John Singleton established that as a filmmaker that, you know, like in the characters very well that growing up with me. I don't know, it, it was just, it was very... It, it's very masterful filmmaking and just from a 23 year old this yeah that's yeah. yeah i mean the fact that he was that young i, I don't even know what i was doing at 23 <laughs> this man was making a film that lasts a test of time yeah. yeah just incredible and then of course uh in that same film where and hey spoiler alert in case you haven't seen boys in the hood yeah somebody dies <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah so th- yeah that sequence when um the guys that they had trouble with at the at the uh, at the auto event um, are looking for trouble, and they see the car, and they try they try to split up and run away. Just that whole sequence uh, is imprinted on my memory forever. You know when when Ricky um, meets his destiny, and and Trey witnesses it. It. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just an incredible sequence, incredible filmmaking. Incredible. So thinking about a second film that you'd want to maybe discuss the scene, is there any that come to mind? I mean, we can talk about Do the Right Thing. We can talk about Rocky. What What else? What I else think are... we have to talk about Rocky because <laughs> that's another... Uh, I love that film, and that's another very impactful film. <laughs> when I was a kid, Rocky Four was my favorite movie. Mm. I'm like, oh, Rocky Four, like he, he beats the Russian. And you know, it's like, I was, we were obsessed with Rocky Four. Right. But then seeing him, all the movies later on, the first Rocky was definitely, I mean, mm. that's, that's my favorite one for sure. It's incredible. It's, it's so incredible. Incredible film by John G. Avildsen. Yeah. Uh, directed at, as well as Lean on Me and Karate Kid. Did you know that? I knew that he directed Karate Kid. Did not know that he directed Lean on Me, which yeah. is another great movie. Yeah, yeah. He had he had a, he had a string of them. He's yeah. gone now as well. Yeah, um, rest in peace to John yeah. G. Albinson. Yeah, he he's he's fantastic, and 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 not too many people are aware that he had uh, many hits uh, in the eighties there. And um, yeah, Rocky, man, what a character study, and just um, there's a scene where. You know, he gets a shot at the title, and uh, Mickey, the guy that's you know uh, the trainer at the gym, old man, uh, comes over to Rocky's house, and 
basically asks him if he can be his manager. Burgess I mean, Meredith. Yeah, right. if he can be his trainer. And um yeah, Burgess Meredith. And and Sylvester Stallone is uh, as Rocky kind of dismisses him because well, because Mickey would call him a bum. A called lot, him a bum. Up and, to that point. And it also took away his locker at the gym. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, Rocky was actually kind of doing errands for wise guys in the mob. Exactly, yeah, yeah. He was, um, yeah, the muscle the muscle for a mob guy. And um, and Mickey didn't approve of his lifestyle, of his choice in life. And he said that he had talent, but uh, but he wasted it. And... But now here, Rocky has a chance, you know, shot at the title, and Mickey wants to help. And Rocky doesn't take kind to it. You know, he's, uh, he, he feels very, very offended that, that Mickey's never been to his house before. <laughs> <laughs> so what's wrong with my house? My house stinks, you know. Um, and uh, it's just, just the buildup of that scene. It's just with Burgess Meredith, like just humbling himself and, and talking about his, glory his, 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 yeah, his career and his glory days and, um, having his nose broken however many times. And, um, and just the way he's just, you could see that he's in, in desperate need of this chance as well. And, and Rocky has the ability to give it to him. Uh, and, and 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 it's sad because it's, it's he's almost he's almost groveling or or, or begging for this opportunity, uh, with with a man who like the power dynamic has shifted, you know. Up until this point, all you have seen is Burgess Meredith's Mickey, you know, sort of um, literally calling him a bum. You're a bum. Yeah, yeah you're a bum. Get and, and 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 Mickey clearly has the power in the yeah. gym kicks him out of his locker you know we we need the locker for real contenders and now rocky is a contender yeah and all of a sudden now mickey needs something from rocky not the other way around and but but he's but but you can tell that he's coming from uh you know a, a lifetime of needing this shot it's not just yes. about Rocky. There's it's so much on the, there's life. so much on the line. There's so much there's everything on the line. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a good good way to put it. And, and it's the story of an underdog. And Rocky very much needs the help too. It needs that love from this man as well. But 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 he's so proud. You know, he's so proud. His ego has been has been bruised and uh he's um very weary of of people who haven't helped him up until this point helping him now. Yeah. And he says, you know, where were you? Where were you 10 years ago when I really needed you? And Mickey can't really say anything, you know, and and he leaves, you know, he leaves with you know, sort of hanging his head. And then Rocky's still saying and it, screaming it out. Rocky's just venting and getting it out and banging the door. And he's like, you know what? what's going to happen when I when I meet Apollo Creed? I'm going to get this. Bang! You know, I'm going to get my face busted in. Where were you? You know, all of this. And through the bathroom door. He had to go to the bathroom because he couldn't disrespect the man to his face. You know, he goes into the bathroom. He closes the door and he's yelling and he's yelling and he's yelling. And Mickey's just listening to it. And, and then he leaves. And then Mickey forgets his hat in the room and Rocky thinking he's gone comes out of the bathroom Mickey had to come back and get the hat and so they see each other for a second and yeah. Rocky's like oh and goes back into the bathroom it's like the awkward moment yeah. and, uh, and just that, that look on that look on Burgess Meredith's face like oh. and, he has, and he has to leave and, and 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 just that shot when Rocky comes out of the building, it's just it's dark and it's like I don't know if they did a wet down, but it's just the most beautiful Philadelphia, yeah, Philadelphia street, and um, and then the and, score and, and, and lightly trickles in, and yeah, and the score is there, and Rocky comes out, and it's a wide shot, and he runs after Mick, and there's no dialogue that you hear, but you just see the body language that he's. You know, accepting uh, Mick's assistance, and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna have uh, him him train him. 
amazing. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, so it's good. so good. I, I think what's uh, a scene in Rocky that's also amazing that every time um, I'm always awestruck when I see the film, and it's just kind of a little moment, but it's a, for me it's a big moment when Apollo Creed, his whole team is in the office, and they're sort of just... You know they're dismiss. They're so dismissive oh, yeah. of Rocky. Oh, they're absolutely. like, okay, I'm going to steamroll right over this guy, <laughs> and that Rocky is on the TV, then hitting hitting the the, the meat, hitting the meat, <laughs> and then just like nobody in the office is paying attention to. Yeah, it. except his trainer, right? Right. Yeah, the trainers. Hey, you might want to look at this. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's sitting there like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he's breaking ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was concerned, but yeah, it was it was, it was a great setup. Yeah. It was a great setup to um to what obviously is the the, the final showdown. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, just even the way that movie ends is not how you would expect, you know, and it's, but in, in a, in a, the most brilliant way possible and actually just seeing th their friendship sort of blossom. I love that too, how they start off as adversaries and then kind of, they end up becoming such tight friends that, you know, Rocky four is about avenging his. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the subsequent Rockies. Yeah. yeah. The subsequent Rockies. So I do like that. The, the fact that they yeah. become great friends. And now we have a whole nother franchise. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. It would amazingly done. I haven't seen the second one yet, but the first one, uh, definitely, uh, blew me away. Yeah. So what's what's uh, what's next on the agenda, Rashad? As far as what what are the next plans? I know you're just finished in this film, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, is there any any other plans that you know you, you want to talk about, or any things just in the future what we could look forward to? Or I mean, I hope to keep on making films. You know, I um, signed on to a couple projects right now, and you know, working it out and amazing you know we'll we'll see what happened but uh but yeah yeah just you know always always looking to tell stories that provoke thought and touch us in some way and um make us feel closer to one another i mean well that's said. what we do right absolutely very well said <laughs> on that note well i greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast and always a pleasure to see you and wish you great hey thank you so much man. thank you all right Thank you for listening to the Film Scene Podcast with Zeph Kota. Produced by Alex Gray. Executive producer Jeff Cutler. Original music by Yuri Ryback. Sponsored by Alphabet City Films.